Welcome to The Healthy Beast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Henry Fisher from Hanway Associates. Hanway Associates is a cannabis industry consultancy. Henry, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. (laughs) My first question would be, in a country where cannabis is still, well, it's illegal up to a point, but we'll talk about that. But in a country where most people consider it to be illegal, how, how did you get a job working in the cannabis industry? It's, it's a good question. Um, one, that's, one that's not obvious, but uh, before I co-founded the, the consultancy with, with my two colleagues, I worked um, in a drug policy think tank looking at specifically primarily cannabis policy, but also policy relating to other drugs and trying to actually affect change so trying to create governmental change through through the work that we were doing and advocacy through that and uh, about two and a half years ago or three years ago now uh, my two colleagues and I who I worked with there um, realized that the cannabis industry was a thing that was that very much existed in some parts of the world and was going to be coming across here very soon and that there was a gap between how that industry communicated to itself and how it understood the world and how uh, governments and academics understood it or understood it, its role in the world. And so the point of setting up Hanway Associates was to uh, create um, a vehicle that could kind of communicate between all, all three, so communicate with government, communicate with business, and also communicate with, with academics uh, to try and push the industry forwards in a way that would help it and, and make sure that it uh, could be as successful as possible, but also... Um, be formed in in a in an image that that would be um, acceptable to governments and, and 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 everywhere else. Do you think the government does understand it? Because I mean, it seems it seems to me to be one of these things where lots of countries are moving in. What I consider, I mean, I'll 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 be clear right now. I think it should be legalised for medicinal use and for recreational use mm. um, for lots of reasons, which we can get into, but. So for, for me, it looks like a lot of the world's moving in the right direction and the UK doesn't seem to be. So do you think they've realised that it's a useful medicine and that it's also something that recreationally perhaps we should leave people alone to use if they want? Yeah, I mean, um, certainly different parts of the government have different views on it and, and from our experience of actually having engaged with, whether it's the Home Office or the Department for International Trade, Different parts of the government have very different ideas on on whether it's a good or a bad thing or how to go about uh, regulating it. But I'm in terms of where the UK stands on it, it, it has been sluggish compared to some other countries. Uh, but it has the, the UK has made progress, a limited progress, uh, even fairly recently in terms of medical cannabis, at least. So uh, in November last year they did legalise medical cannabis in some very limited form. So we do now have legal medical cannabis and it can be prescribed by specialists in the UK. Uh, But the way that they've brought it in, it's meant that although nominally medical cannabis is legal, um, the NHS is still uh, very unlikely to prescribe it, incredibly unlikely to prescribe it. And uh, the the conditions in, on which a patient may be prescribed it are still incredibly limited. So it's it's kind of it's been legalised in, in for med- medicinal purposes in kind of name only and not really in practice yet. Are there any figures available for how many prescriptions they're writing? Because I, I would I would guess from what it seems that it's next to none. Mm. So in terms of NHS pres- prescriptions, I think the, the figure is something like a little while ago. It was still sitting at five prescriptions or something like that. What, one, two, uh, three, four, five. Five. Five, no, yeah. yeah five. Can't, can't more now. <laughs> right. Um, and and that would be one we know about, probably, is yeah, the little yeah. boy. With... Typically, they're historic prescriptions that have kind of happened 
prior to that for very um, uh, unusual circumstances rather than prescriptions that have happened since um, since medical cannabis became legal. And the prescriptions that have happened since that happened have all been private. Um, and that is partly due to the, the cost of cannabis at the moment. And so it's not covered by uh, by by the NHS because NICE has ruled that it's not cost effective. So you can you can get it privately, but it's just very expensive. Is that yeah, and but partly that is because um, of how it how it arrives in the UK and the fact that there's very few prescriptions at the moment. So there's a huge markup on literally getting getting that medicine into the UK and importing it uh, because it's a very controlled substance, obviously. Um, and so, in theory, as more people get prescribed it, the price should come down. But um, that's uh, certainly not happened yet. And uh, so, what's really what's standing in the way of? Of a situation, you know, like in Canada or yeah. like in in some of the perhaps more enlightened states of the US, where they just overnight legalized it. So I think it depends on who who you ask and how you look at it. Certainly, the way uh, medical legalization, at least if we focus on that first for the moment, has happened in North America. That happened well, certainly in in lots of the US. That happened through ballot measures, so literally referenda in individual states, where you know enough people could vote and and and, and elect to legalize medical cannabis. Um, uh, and uh, then in, in Canada, there was a legal challenge, and that's what that's what led it there. In fact, that legal challenges is what led it in in several countries, including Germany. Maybe that's what we need to do here. Legal challenges. Yeah, well, that's part. That's well, it wasn't a legal challenge, but there was a campaign in uh, in in May uh, two thousand eighteen, which led to legalization of medical cannabis in the UK, and that was the the, the well, the two cases of um, Alfie Dingley uh, and uh, Billy Caldwell, so two small children, both of whom had rare forms of epilepsy, both of whom could be treated by medical cannabis but that couldn't be sourced in the UK and so it created a situation where both these children desperately needed medicine to survive and have any kind of quality of life and it it wasn't possible and there there was instances of of, you know their parents having medical cannabis that they'd they'd, uh, been prescribed in other countries having taken off having it taken off them by customs at the airport and obviously that created um, an untenable situation for for the Home Secretary at the time, Sajid Javid, and so he had to do something about it. So he, yeah, I remember, I remember this. So he did something which was seen as popular. So he allowed. I remember it was Billy Corbell, but yeah, the other yeah. guy you mentioned, Alfie Dingle. He he sort of legalised it at that point, so these boys could get yeah. their prescriptions. But that was sort of seen as a victory, but it didn't hasn't gone any further because I mean yeah, there, there was the case. So you saw a couple of weeks ago where. The grandmother who had multiple sclerosis was arrested, and um, she'd been getting Sativex, so mm. kind of the, the expensive yeah. legal prescription cannabis that we were talking about. Mm. She'd been getting it on the NHS for her for her MS, and you know was getting by with no problems. And they withdrew the prescription, so she started growing her own cannabis, making it into chocolate. And then one day, six police officers descend on the house and. She's arrested and dragged through the courts. In the end, it was thrown out of the court. But this was one of these ones I thought, what kind of barbaric country are we living in? I mean, not to get too tabloid about it, but like of all the things you can get angry about, I think someone growing something that quite clearly is natural in their own home to medicate an illness affecting no one but themselves and to be arrested, I think, is just... <laughs> 
is barbaric. Yeah, there's certainly a case for, especially when people are using it medicinally, uh, when people are, are growing it themselves or, or using it for their own, own personal use, especially medicinally, there's a question of what, what harm is is that causing. And what a lot of countries introduced at the early stages of, of their kind of uh, forays into medical legalisation and then non- non-medical legalisation is kind of compassionate access clauses. So the idea that if someone seeks some benefit from it or, or needs it, that they're going to be um, uh, that they're not going to be looked harshly upon by the authorities, um, and that is something that the UK hasn't introduced with its its legalisation, and it's meant that um, we're kind of left in this situation where, although in principle medical cannabis is legal, if people actually take matters into their own hands, they're still very much perceived um, as criminals, uh, which is obviously um, it, yeah, not a tenable situation. It creates um, uh, a huge amount of stress for these people who seek medical or who, who derive medical benefit from cannabis um, and who can't afford these prescriptions. Hmm. Well, I think to people who can't afford them. I mean, it's so expensive. Sativex, the one you could, the one you can get. I mean, it's you'd be spending. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pounds a week if you were, from from what I, from what I can see. I mean, it's not. Yeah, and uh, and um, so in fact, fairly recently since since the start of 2020 um, the NHS has uh, reached a deal with GW Pharmaceuticals who make uh, Sativex and also another drug called uh, Epidiolex, both of which are cannabis derived medications to actually reduce the price so they can be prescribed on the NHS Also the the GW Pharma and the NHS agreed? Yeah So so it's going to come The the price of that one medicine is going to be reduced. Oh so that'll be cheaper for prescribing doctors so it might make it yeah so uh, it might make it more likely that they'll yeah prescribe it, it it's still not cheap but it's cheaper than it it was um but part of the wider issue is that so um sativex and epidiolex are these two drugs they are the only two cannabis derived uh medical products that have uh market authorization by the mhra so that's this that's the body the, the governmental body that regulates medicines uh, but there is a wealth of other medical uh, cannabis-derived medical products that are made by other companies, whether it's in Canada or the Netherlands, uh, that have not received the same market authorization from the MHRA. But they are, certainly in a lot of other countries, they're prescribed very uh, broadly. And in the UK, in principle, they can be prescribed as uh, special uh, specials, is, is, is the name of that kind of medication. But they can only be prescribed in incredibly limited circumstances, and th- these medications are still incredibly expensive. So that's, this is where people end up getting prescriptions that end up costing them upwards of six hundred pounds a month, or, or even more. So, how, how do you how do you see it changing? I mean, do you think we're going to get to a situation where you could go to a in a, in a few years' time where you can go to your doctor and it could be one of the one of the solutions for? Because we've talked about you know the the small number of conditions that it that it's been prescribed for so i think it's basically ms and um and those kids you've had it for um for epilepsy yeah. epilepsy um chemotherapy nausea relating to chemotherapy is one of the other kind of niche cases um but yeah there's there's not many and in fact the the recommendations that nice has put out are incredibly restrictive even compared to a lot of other countries that that limit the the the, the conditions that that medical cannabis can be prescribed for so because you're a chemist by background yeah yeah 
And so you've so you've studied all kind of all different medicines. So you could maybe give a more intelligent comparison between two drugs that particularly interest me, which would be opioids on the one one yeah. hand and um, cannabis yeah. on the other, because I've got I've got um, experience of using both mm. for pain. Yeah, uh, some very severe injuries, and my my personal experience is that one seems like a very bad idea. Opioids seem like a very bad idea. You know, you can feel that they're addictive. You can feel that they change your your mood in a way that you that you that some people might find nice, and you can mm. see why that it's addictive. But actually, it's very yeah. feels very harmful. It's it can obviously kill you. It's a huge problem. Loads of people die from it. Cannabis, on the other hand. It seems to work very well for pain. It seems to be very benign. Mm. If you stop taking it, there's no there's no withdrawal. People have taken it for years. No deaths. All this kind of thing. You can see where I'm where I'm going with it. My yeah. personal experience. But from a chemist's point of view, maybe you could weigh up those two. Yeah, I mean, comparing these two uh, these two drugs is, or groups of drugs is is uh, an interesting comparison. But I mean, it's it's interesting because opioids are obviously very effective at treating pain, but where they're not effective or where they become increasingly less effective is when you're treating chronic pain so taking them over a long period of time that's when tolerance builds up that's when the side effects increase and the actual efficacy of the drugs dramatically decreases um, and then you just end up with people that that have developed a dependency on on opiate medication and they're deriving very little benefit from it in fact it's it's kind of hampering their their recovery whereas cannabis definitely uh, cannabis based medicines definitely do have side effects and and can have um, unpleasant side effects for some people, especially if they don't actually like the, don't want to actually experience the kind of uh, some of the psychoactive side effects that might might come from consuming cannabis. But if we compare the two drugs just just for a minute, um, so opiates act on your opioid receptors, uh, whereas uh, cannabinoids, so in, in particular the, the the two main, uh, I guess, a- active ingredients in cannabis are these two substances. One's called THC. Uh, and one is called CBD. So THC is, is the the compound that gets you high and has a psychoactive high, um, but is also effective in, in um, uh, reducing pain. And uh, CBD is not psychoactive itself, although that is kind of argued because it can have some kind of uh, anxiolytic properties, that's anti-anxiety type properties. Uh, but it's also a anti-inflammatory, so it's useful for... Um, reducing pain related to especially kind of musculoskeletal pain um but in terms of how the two different kind of types of drugs work on pain it's kind of useful to think about what the two receptor groups or, or, or systems do in the body so the opioid system and the and the cannabinoid uh, endocannabinoid system so opioids tend to kind of lessen the major signals of pain so they kind of stop your brain paying attention to the pain signals that your body is sending sending to the central nervous system uh and so by cancelling those out or kind of like stopping your brain listening to them that's how opioids reduce pain so it's a very effective uh way of doing that in the short term but gradually because those signals are important to actually reach your brain you gradually build up tolerance and that's that's why they stop being effective over long periods uh the endocannabinoid system, its relationship with how it kind of controls pain is kind of fairly different. It tends to sort of, it's it's less to do with the the major signal going from whatever you might have done, burnt your hand up to your brain. What it modulates is um, if you touch something hot, um, you, you you experience pain. 
after that, so that creates a kind of automatic reaction, a reflex. Uh, but after that, you then want to suddenly stop feeling pain, and that's where the endocannabinoid system comes in. Um, it uh, essentially allows your uh, nervous system to kind of forget that it's just felt pain and, and to kind of return back to normal. Um, and so that, you get the so in, effect, you, in effect you get the message, but you don't get the kind of yeah. reverb, whatever yeah, you call it. Exactly. Afterwards, you, you don't get of, the you get the message. It's just you kind of and and the way a lot of kind of chronic pain patients have described the way cannabis working is I still feel pain. It just doesn't seem to bother me so much. So it's it, that's the kind of the the difference between the two. So it's not that they're not feeling it. It's just that they they it, they they seem to. Um, uh, a tolerance isn't the right word, but but um, it, it doesn't seem to bother them in the same way. So w- whereas opioids are, are sort of killing the signal to an extent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that will kind of. I mean, that's that's a very kind of hand wavy argument for it. I'm sure there's kind of neuroscientists well, out there telling well, no, their hair about there's, my there's, description of it. But that's. A, but you know, it's 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 not like it's not like there is an easy way to describe it <laughs> because you no, know, there isn't because I mean, I've tried to yeah. I've read up read up when we were explaining before we. Before we started, how I'm, I'm very much not a scientist, um, so it is difficult to understand. But your, but your description of it, it kind of fits with my experience of taking them. In that, you take opioids, and it's just this. It's hard to describe, but it's a really weird dulling of everything. Mm. And the problem is that dulling includes your senses. Yeah. So you're with opioids. You're, you're just you're less aware. You. You give less of a shit about everything, and you, and it's just a sort of lessening. My experience, a sort of lessening of you as a person. It feels yeah. like a real like dialing down of everything, and like if and, and I can see, I can understand how people can just carry on that slide down, yeah, and keep taking them because you're because I've 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 not taken them for ages, but I've certainly been in that situation where I'm afraid to stop taking them, yeah, and that's a horrible thing, and especially. When they're not working on the pain anymore, yeah. you're just taking them because it's what because it's what you do. And of course, they they don't necessarily just dull physical pain, but they can also dull emotional pain as well. And so that's where a lot of people end up kind of falling into a slippery slope where they where they where it it's helping them get through life, but but they're ending up in a situation where they can't live without them. So yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you know if you're if you if if various things are not going well in your life in other parts of your life which often they're not for you know because problems don't tend to come on their own, on their own yeah. so people i can see how they're going to be kind of speeding that path yeah. to despair the problem the problem with cannabis is as in terms of an image mm. is that it also has this reputation yeah so obviously it has um a huge amount of cultural and social baggage that that stretches back you know hundreds of years really um and uh what's what's interesting is that cannabis was considered uh so from from again still focusing on the kind of medicinal side of things it, it, there were cannabis uh medicines that were prescribed right up until the end of the 60s and in one interestingly one of the interesting one of the um impacts of of uh the misuse of drugs act when it was brought in in 1971 wasn't just that that cannabis was made legal but also it meant that medical cannabis products couldn't be prescribed anymore and so doctors lost that tool from their arsenal um also because of some of the quirks of of cannabis as a medicine which is it's typically not a uh uh, not a single component drug so i've I've mentioned two 
uh, so THC and CBD, but a lot of cannabis-based medicines actually have a whole host of other cannabinoids and other compounds that are found in cannabis uh, that, that seem to modulate an effect and, and create slight differences in their effect, which is why it seems to have um, impact across such a range of conditions. Um, but it's very hard to fit a complex product like that into our medical regulations, which tend to focus on uh, drugs that have a single active component as opposed to lots of active components that are all derived from a plant that are hard to isolate um, and that all seem to work in concert in some way or other to create the desired effect. Do you think most doctors are just a bit kind of confused by it and don't want to get don't want to get involved you know I think yeah. it seems to be they're just kind of thinking okay well I'm going to sit back and see how this plays out. Yeah um, I mean one of the big things that we haven't mentioned yet is evidence uh, and uh, often what uh, one of the excuses for why medical cannabis is not more widely available is that there's not enough evidence uh, for it um, which is true in a sense in that uh, there's certainly not enough uh, randomised uh, so the, the kind of gold standard for, for um uh, medical evidence, which is uh, uh, randomised uh, controlled trials or double-blind double blind randomised controlled trials. There's not enough of those done on large populations with cannabis to test its efficacy. And those that have been done, uh, not all of them can be relied on because cannabis is such a complex medicine and it might be consumed in different ways. Um, uh, so, for example, when, when NICE analysed, uh, evaluated the data uh, when they were working out whether the NHS should, whether it should be prescribed on the NHS, they excluded any studies where the cannabis had been smoked, uh, which is obviously a, a significant amount of studies, especially as a lot of studies are conducted in Israel, where typically the cannabis is smoked. So that rules out a huge wealth of data that's been, and evidence that's been built up on the efficacy of cannabis. Um, or just because they think we don't agree with smoking, so we won't yeah. in include things that we consider unhealthy. Yeah, I, I guess that, that if you're kind of looking at it uh, charitably, it, in, in the UK regulations that were brought in, the one way, the, the one method of consumption that was excluded from medical uh, from from uh, regulations with medical cannabis was that it's not allowed to be smoked. So you can be prescribed a medical cannabis product, and you can vaporize it or you can eat it or if it's formulating a tincture you can you know drip it under your tongue or, or create a kind of topical formulation but the one thing you're not allowed to do is smoke it uh, and so i it, yeah if you're being charitable that's why they didn't include that data if you're being uncharitable it's because they um you know you can make your own decisions on that um so i mean talking about being uncharitable there are there are certain people i've heard this expressed by a number of people that one of the reasons it, things are not happening more quickly is because the pharmaceutical industry doesn't see the profit in it because they because um i think if if you're in this situation where in a in a few years it's fully legal and and it and it's and you know you can get access to it for your medicinal um anyone can get it and in and, and it can be grown easily it's not going to be a big money maker for the pharmaceutical industry so it's not in their interests for it for things to move forward and also these are the people making the oxycontin and have all the all the opioids and antidepressants and a whole host of other 
classes of drugs that may be impacted by uh, by yeah, white God no neurofen, you know, what, every, every, yeah. who, who knows what. Yeah, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories is a huge, huge sector, and if that starts getting eaten away by greater availability of, of uh, cannabis-based medicines, then yeah, there's clearly a conflict. Having said that, I don't think uh, the the pharma industry are uh, actively um, trying to keep the cannabis industry back. It's more just that, that it's not a focus for for the, the pharma industry, as you said, because it doesn't really fit with their business model so their business model is create a patent on a new drug uh, and then sell that and make lots of money off the back of it after you've conducted expensive clinical trials which you need to then make your money back from uh, whereas with cannabis in a lot of parts of the world where legislation has been brought in medical cannabis products are, are it can, can be made available to patients uh, with without the need for clinical trials and so a lot of cannabis companies or cannabis companies typically haven't focused on conducting these clinical trials to prove the efficacy of their products. Also, when you look at it in the kind of wider context, which is there's huge numbers of patients consuming cannabis for medicinal use prior to legalisation. And and so when you then consider the kind of relative harm of people consuming an unknown dosage of cannabis in an unknown amount from an unknown provenance, as opposed to consuming something which can be provided legally by a medical cannabis company there's clearly one is safer than the other or potentially safer at least it can be dosed more more reliably um uh and so that's why medical cannabis companies haven't haven't gone down the route of conducting large clinical trials um to to kind of build up this wealth of data the problem that then happens or that's happened in the uk is um uh the mhra have said uh, you know, require that data to make a lot of these products more widely available and certainly to make them more widely available on the HS. And they have not yet engaged with the argument that people are consuming these products, uh, people are consuming cannabis illegally anyway. And so there's a kind of harm reduction element or kind of consumer safety element to consider. Um, it's a w- really weird thing, isn't it? Because obviously I understand how clinical trials work and quite rightly there's a very, there's a very um, strict way of conducting them. But it's weird, isn't it, in this country where you've got millions and millions of people using this product yeah. and you've got these, the academic world thinking now, how are we going to find out whether this thing's working or not? But of course you can't just use the fact that the public are, are taking it because very often, and this is the real problem with it, very often people that consume marijuana do a lot of other unhealthy stuff. So they, they smoke it in filterless tobacco-filled cigarettes, which horrific for your lungs and that's i think probably the most still the most maybe not now with vaping but one of the most common when when i grew up the most common way to consume it was in a field you know in a joint where taking there's no filter and it's just the tobacco is the thing doing you so people that smoked a lot of of cannabis would end up with hacking coughs but that's because they're you know smoking terribly unhealthy yeah i mean the the idea that you would consume any medicine by smoking along with tobacco it's, it's laughable when you kind of think about it from a medical perspective, but that's what a lot of people do to actually derive their, their you know, the benefit from cannabis when they're consuming it medicinally. And um, it was only recently that a new poll actually came out, which showed that 1.4 million people in the UK alone are consuming uh, cannabis for medicinal purposes, which is far greater than than previous estimates have put it. So 1.4 million, 1.4 million for medicinal. Just for medicinal purposes. So does, does this mean 
sort of self-proclaimed medicinal purposes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, I just said 1.4 million people are consuming it illegally because obviously they're, they're not they've not got prescriptions. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. For, for, but for what they say are medicinal purposes. For what they say is medicinal purposes, and it's interesting that the the the, the conditions that they that they self-report they use for are not necessarily not the same ones that match up with where we have the the firmest evidence yet. So one of the uh, one of the biggest is actually for depression and anxiety. That's where a lot of people consume uh, medical cannabis to derive, uh, ben- you know, derive some some kind of uh, therapeutic benefit from. Um, uh, but that's uh, a condition for which the evidence has not yet been built up to randomised controlled trials, controlled trials to say that that's the, the, the kind of the evidence weighs strongly in its favour of, of, of actually being effective yet. But the but yet people are reporting that yeah and and as medical cannabis becomes more widespread in more countries we will end up with a wealth of observational data of of people using it for for different purposes and deriving benefit and one of the things that would affect greater change in the UK would be if uh, Nice actually started to consider more observational data alongside the randomised controlled trials. So observational data would be just what people self-report. Yeah. So yeah, X exactly. number, say, report taking it for anxiety and say it helps. Yeah. Yeah. So doctors may be prescribing it and, and are, you know, are following up several weeks later to find out if there's been an improvement. You get onto some quite interesting arguments when you look at what the different bits of cannabis do, because I've written a fair bit about CBD. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and there's, there's been loads in the press about CBD and, I, and lots of people... Lots of people I know, particularly sports people, use it and they've completely stopped using ibuprofen because, you know, a few years ago, you do a lot of sport, you've got inflammation, take ibuprofen, it's completely safe, everyone said. So people were taking it every day. I was taking it every day and then suddenly it comes out that stuff, yeah, organ it's not, failure. not so good for your digestive system. Yeah, yeah so, so CBD's, CBD's great for that. But when you, when you talk about this, people, this line about it not being psychoactive or as you say not being psychoactive for most people or not not very psychoactive yeah but when people people in their acceptance levels they say oh, it's not psychoactive and they're almost like oh that's okay then because it's like oh you can have it but we don't yeah. want you don't you don't you just go enjoying yourself yeah, it's, it's not the thing that makes you high whereas that's you know when we consider why most people use cannabis which is not for medical purposes that's kind of entirely the point to actually have a psychoactive effect and to enjoy that effect and that's why a lot of people can consume consume cannabis obviously for for, for recreational you know non-medicinal reasons but it amazes me how many people still have this slightly puritanical point of view well well if you're going to enjoy it you can't have it then yeah. you know which which seems yeah. seems really weird to me but but you are saying that as well as being enjoyable if you like that kind of thing the THC is also an important element to pain relief yeah yeah it it has um a THC is uh, a very medically interesting compound in and of itself so it's not just because i think some people almost misdescribe mis- the roles of CBD and THC it's like oh THC is just the one that gets you high and CBD is the medically useful one that's not that's not the case both compounds are medically useful but THC is the one that gets you high but also CBD does actually change the effects of the, psych- the subjective psychoactive effects of THC when you consume them together yeah I think all this stuff I think all this stuff about CBD has 
has helped with this misconception. That, yeah. yeah, it's like this is the medical one, and the other one is the naughty one that you shouldn't yeah. really shouldn't really be allowed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting with with CBD on its own. Obviously, the the what the CBD industry has has exploded um, in in the last few years. Was it last year that it was valued at, in the UK at three hundred million? Um, and uh, it's it's obviously the, the the vast majority of that is is um, in the kind of wellness space or you know wellness products that you can buy from Holland and Barrett and and, and other places. Um, Don't buy that one. By the way. <laughs> no, I mean, I know because the good thing about we we can speak freely on podcasts. The the, the stuff apparently the stuff at Holland about's got so so little in that I mean you know more about this than me. But this is the problem with it's, I mean, I'm not going to pick any individual product out. But the problem with a huge amount of CBD products is you know you, I think there's one again not naming any brands, but there's a CBD water that was sold uh, or maybe is still being sold um, that you know contains such tiny amounts of cannabis uh, tiny amounts of CBD that and considering CBD is not a very water soluble compound and it's being sold in a plastic bottle it's far more likely that the you know, tiny smear of, of CBD that is in that it's far more likely to be stuck up the walls of the plastic bottle than actually ever end up inside you um, and for it to be effective as an anti-inflammatory you do need to consume not crazy amounts but a reasonable amount um, and and it's expensive, right? So yeah. I mean, you can't. No, some I'm sure some of these companies are ripping people off, but f- from from talking to people, the the well-run ones, they're just dealing with an ex- and a product that's extremely expensive, but also difficult to get. So they're getting yeah. their shipments stopped at customs, yeah. and people are you know, and it gets through eventually, but they, you know, you lose one, and it's it's, yeah. a, it's a nightmare of a business. It's it's yeah, it's a real challenge. I mean, there's just focusing on, on CBD alone and how it ends up in these products in the UK. So uh, CBD is a, a compound that's extracted from cannabis. Uh, cannabis. A type of cannabis is hemp, which can be grown legally in the UK under a hemp licence. Um, typically, hemp is basically cannabis that has very low amounts of THC. And it's, you know, it was grown uh, traditionally for you know using, using the fibre to make rope or to get the seeds to make food or whatever it might be um but uh cbd is actually found in in the flowers of hemp plants um but the legislation in the uk says you're allowed to grow hemp but what you're not allowed to do with that hemp is uh do anything with the flowers and you're absolutely not allowed to extract those flowers to get cbd out so all the cbd that ends up in on shelves of products and in products in this country uh is actually imported from hemp that's grown abroad whereas you know, hemp farmers that grow hemp in the UK literally have to plough the the flowers, so the most the most profitable, uh, most valuable part of the plants that they've grown back into the ground or destroy them in some other way. So let me be clear on this. So we're growing hemp yep. in this country, taking away, taking off the bit. So the hemp goes to do, to make something else. Yeah, so it'll go to make clothes some kind of hippie yeah, clothes, clothes or, or fiber or. Yeah. or and it is a very environmentally sustainable plant, so to, to use it for building materials, which is one of the uh, uh, growing uses of, of hemp fibre, is um, still a, 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 a useful thing to do. But where farmers could make most of their profit, they're not, they're not allowed to. OK, so yeah, this is the point. So, and they'd get the bit that would con- contain CBD and they throw it away. Yeah, they, they, they have to as done under terms of their licence. 
So, do we know how big this market is roughly for hemp? Uh, so the well, the the, the seed... I mean the, the production here rather rather than the market. Uh, I'm off the top of my head, I can't remember the numbers of hemp. But significant amounts. It's still a, a it's considered a niche crop because it is not profitable enough for more farms to grow it, and because because there are these regulatory hurdles where you need to apply for a hemp license. Well, I'm no um, businessman, but I, f- I can see how it could be more profitable if you don't throw the most valuable bit away. Absolutely, yeah, it, it would make it an, a, pretty much an, an order of magnitude more profitable as a crop. Well, I mean, it, it, I don't know how much, in terms of the quantity, how much of it is the bit that you could convert into CBD, but assuming it's a significant amount... Yeah, and, and and knowing how expensive it is, and it's being everyone's importing it from Colorado, from Holland, and yeah, we're growing it here and throwing it away. Yeah, how how much has this been reported on this? Uh, this it, fact, it's uh, it's received a little bit of uh, of, of exposure from like a, a, a kind of I think Country File did a did a segment on it a couple of months ago. Did they? But largely, it's kind of gone under the radar because you know hemp is. And I think hemp is is starting to undergo uh, a, a renaissance. People are seeing it for a crop in its own right, but obviously it has its own baggage where people are, ta- you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, hippie clothes and, and the and the rest of it. But joking aside, I mean, the the, the history of hemp, um, which I don't, it's, it's it's been written about a lot, and you know, but still, a lot of people I mentioned it don't seem to know that one. I mean, the two main reasons that marijuana became illegal was one. A, a way to racially oppress the black community in America. Yep. Two, um, to eliminate competition for the paper growers because because hemp was you know this yep. wonder crop that was predicted to be the biggest crop in America and and so they so they they sent they sent the police in after yeah. you know demonized this protection of of cotton farms in in the US and uh, and. Um uh, wool production in the UK is two of the things that. Um, oh, so wool in. So we have yeah. a dog in the fight too with that. Too. Yeah, I mean wool in the UK. Pretty long time ago, this was kind of you yeah. know, 1900s. But um, but those were the those those were two factors that at least contributed to control of hemp. Um, which you know the the history. If we go back further, um, uh, King Henry VIII uh, mandated that every landowner that had above a certain area of land. Um, in their possession was mandated to set aside a certain portion of it just to grow hemp because they needed the crop so much to make sails and ropes for obviously for for ships and and, and other uses so wonder crop with a thousand uses and but so i I wonder how much at a time at a time when you know well not that there's ever not a time like this but a particular time when the the country needs to look Mm. to look to how it can improve its future yeah. If we are literally th- taking a, a valuable crop and throwing it in the bin, it's. Yeah. I mean, just just because of, but just because of a law which inevitably will change, it has to yeah. change in there. Yeah, and you know, but part of the reason why why uh, why hemp flowers have to be destroyed like this is because when when hemp legislation was was kind of brought in alongside the Misuse of Drugs Act. Hemp flowers weren't being used in that way. You know, industrial hemp was only used to make fibre and to grow and, and to produce seed. It wasn't being used to produce CBD because people hadn't discovered CBD yet. 
Um, so Hempfast, I'm just wondering what kind of um, forensic going over country file will have given this story. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> were they were they I don't were they enraged? I, they gave it a reasonable treatment, but I think it was more of an, an you know an interest piece than than them kind of banging the drum. I don't think they're going to lead lead the fight anytime soon. I realised I was about to mock country file, and I'm not convinced I've ever seen it. But I'm aware of. <laughs> I get, and I get the idea. Is it John Craven? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, that's so we're throwing money away. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, and certainly in in Brexit Britain, we might need to. Well, exactly. Take, take back control of our CBD. Well, or, you know, or if I mean, if you know, if you can look to look to countries around the world making a fortune out of it, and we're throwing it in the bin, yeah. and importing it it's, from from our from our competitors, and it makes no sense, it, does it? It seems mad. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, th- this is it's a step aside from the cannabis debate. Although obviously, it's it it has its roots. You know, the reason why it's it, it has it's this odd quirk of regulation comes from uh, the fact that cannabis is a controlled substance in the first place. Do you think if you had to? I mean, it's crystal ball time. But three three years, five years. How long do you think it'll be before we've got you can you can just go into a shop? buy it like you can in Colorado and buy cannabis for, yeah. for, for recreational use or non medical use um uh so it, obviously it depends on the politics and there's all sorts of qualifiers but um I don't think it's unreasonable to think it could happen certainly within five to ten years is it's perfectly reasonable the question is how much sooner than five years uh, are you willing to bet it it could happen you know is is it going to be a priority for the Johnson government? Is it going to be something that's seen as as you know a potential cash cow, um, or will you know will will this government uh, look for some kind of more more liberal like economically liberal principles, or will it um, will it take a more socially conservative stance on the issue and, and decide that you know non medical use of cannabis is something that should be frowned upon and and, and cracked down upon you know. Will they go that route or the other? And we don't know for certain. But I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it being legalised for non-medical use in some form in under five years. For non-medical use, in yeah. Some yeah. So, so for, for, yeah, for yeah. recreational use, I mean, yeah. Yeah. From in terms, because I mean, it's still illegal for recreational use. Do you deal with the police a lot? Do you, because I spoke to a friend of mine who runs security in some of the big London clubs. And he said that the police he deals with a lot. He says that they don't care about drugs anymore. Yeah, you know, they care about protecting people. But in terms of someone doing drugs and not bothering anyone else, they don't care. Yeah, I mean, certainly in terms of how <laughs> we don't tend to react, uh, interact with the, with the police a great deal uh, ourselves. Although when we actually went before when I worked at the think tank and we were doing more advocacy work, we 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 did interact with police a lot more. But it's absolutely not a you know, cannabis certainly cannabis possession and cannabis use is not a priority at all for uh for police forces across the uk they have had their budgets slashed um and numbers cut and they are interested in you know making society as safe as possible uh whilst using as few resources as possible and focusing on uh people possessing and consuming cannabis or growing cannabis for for personal use uh, is absolutely not a priority for the police, and it's not something that they're going to focus on. You know, obviously it differs from police force to police force, but there's some that have been very explicit about the fact that they've deprioritized it and they don't 
they're, they're not going to concern themselves with with uh, cases of cannabis possession. So, I wonder how that poor old lady got the police knocking on her door. I mean, I, I guess. Yeah, and, and the problem is there it becomes a postcode lottery if you have a police force that actually has decided it is more of priority or even more unfairly someone has made a complaint to the council um and they feel they need to make a make a make a stance you know be, be seen to be doing something uh then that's often where these where these cases arise you know the police haven't arrested anyone for cannabis in a long time uh, the council have said that this needs to be a focus because someone has made a complaint and, and someone gets arrested for it, um, which is incredibly unfair, obviously. Maybe we need um, civil disobedience. Maybe this is the is the way to force their hand because you know they can't they can't go into everyone's house. And it is you know. it is how uh, change has been affected in in other parts of the world uh, by people refusing to you know people growing and people forming you know collectives and clubs and and you know there there is an organization in the uk called called uk cannabis social clubs um who you know who do advocate um for for you know sensible uh and responsible growing practices so growing small amounts for personal use um and then and and they've tried to interact with you know p- police forces in in different different places to to kind of argue look they're not doing anything unreasonable. Oh, so they've had they've had the conversation yeah. with police forces and how's it how's it gone? Um, uh, I th- well, it's, I guess it depends on police force to police force. But as an, as another marker, when you look at um, so if you're looking for a kind of uh, a national national cannabis day or international cannabis day so april the 20th 420 is um is is that day and and typically every year in hyde park there's a a huge gathering and a demonstration and last year i mean it helped that it was a sunny day i can't remember if it was a saturday or not but it was it was certainly a very sunny day and uh it was the largest crowd that hyde park has ever seen um on on 420 which you know thousands and upon thousands you know, tens of thousands of people all smoking cannabis in in Hyde Park or consuming cannabis in one way or another in Hyde Park. And the police know they're obviously not going to do anything about that. All the police want to do in that situation is make sure no severe crimes are being committed so you know there's no no violence there's no no thefts um you know things that they that, that they're actually concerned about. The violence one is 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 I think an an important point to get across to those conservative small c conservatives who might worry about yeah. these things because Anyone who's got any experience of going out in town centres on Friday, Saturday night know that alcohol is a yeah. is a dangerous drug in the wrong hands. Yeah. You know, it, you know, young people that might be slightly prone to naughty behaviour get them drunk and it just yeah. goes through the roof. You know, everyone knows that. I think they kind of bracket cannabis together. I bet if you were to ask a copper, would you rather have a stoned crowd or a drunk crowd you know which they'd rather yeah. deal with and i think this is this has probably not been understood by some people who just think because it's drugs yeah and i think the the potential negative side of or you know the potential uh negative effects of cannabis have been uh overstated in many cases um and and fixated upon whereas exactly when you compare it you know, in context, especially in, in comparison to alcohol, which is consumed in different settings and in different places, but it's but it's it's implicated in a huge, huge number of crimes, whereas cannabis is is nowhere near that amount. I think a lot of the problem is the strength, and it comes from that comes from prohibition. That you know, when something is 
illegal people want to get the strongest it's like moonshine they want to get the strongest version they can because if you go to amsterdam if you smell that crazy strong skunk weed mm. if you smell it the next thing you'll see is a group of english lads coming around the corner because none of the locals will touch it because they don't need to because they can go and choose from a menu yeah so you don't if you go into a bar you don't drink absinthe from the get-go yeah. do you? You, yeah, you, exactly. you, you, you you choose what you can whereas you know the english go there and like right it's legal because they, they, they're in the habits of prohibition where you just get what you can and they yeah. mess themselves up. And, you know, the, the vast majority of cannabis, that, that uh, illegal cannabis that's, that's sold uh, in the UK and consumed is uh, cannabis that is, uh, uh, yeah, high in THC and has virtually no CBD. Um, and... When that is yeah con- con- consumed exclusively, I have to be careful about how how, how I kind of word this because th- there there is a correlation um, between people developing um, psychosis and schizophrenia in some limited cases. Uh, it's not uh, you know for the the huge vast majority of people that consume cannabis, especially if they're not consuming it um, in large amounts and, uh, and 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 on a regular basis they're not going to suffer any long-term ill effects from that. Uh, but for a small number of people, especially with certain genetic dispositions, they are they can expose themselves to um, to higher risk of uh, developing schizophrenia and psychosis, especially uh, people who are going through adolescence, especially, especially if they're male. Um, but uh, what has also been shown is that if you're consuming cannabis that has uh, a more balanced amount of THC to CBD, that the likelihood of 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 those pro psychotic effects developing uh is significantly lowered yeah uh, so and i think that's mainly that crazy strong the, yeah. the crazy strong skunk should be seen as a different thing i think and and, and when you actually have a variety of products you know people can consume uh you know really high thc uh cannabis if they want to and get really stoned sometimes they also have the option of consuming something that is far less strong and and and, and actually kind of moderating their consumption more uh or being more in control of their own consumption because yeah, i think fantastic. that's 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 what most people struggle with yeah and i'm really sorry we're out of time but dr <laughs> so it's dr henry fisher it's hanway associates if yep. you associates if people want to find out more so you're doing great work heading towards a uk of legal but carefully controlled yeah i mean we we we, we, we don't do advocacy work ourselves but but yeah it's um it's something that we believe you know obviously should change we believe that cannabis is a social and economic good so yeah okay well best of luck with it and we're gonna i'm gonna find out what's happening to all this cbd we're throwing away <laughs> henry fisher from Henry associates thank you very much yes thank you right. Thank you again to Dr. Henry Fisher. Find out more at Hanway Associates. That's H-A-N-W-A-Y Associates.com. It's Hanway.associates on Instagram. And the long-neglected Healthy Beast Instagram account is at Healthy Beast Podcast. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.